If he's not gonna play the piano, then tell him to get out of the recital. You know what I mean? Hold on one sec. Yeah, I, buddy, I gotta make this the recipe. Just get it out here with a side of frazzled nerves and bring the check while you're at it. Absolutely. I need reports like yesterday. Hey, buddy, can you replace this one with one that's burnt above him? I've got to work late tonight, honey. All right. This morning we are finishing up our I Choose series. And uh, we are on our fourth week of I Choose. We were a little delayed. Um, last week we did not have uh, power here at the church. So we went a different direction for the service and so this week fell on the last week of I Choose. And so uh, open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And uh, I want to just give you a forewarning now. Following service, um, I try to be around as much as possible in the back here, shaking hands and stuff. Um, think I might be coming down with something, so I thought it was wise to exclude myself from that activity. Unless you want to possibly get something, then just see me right after service. And I would be sure to cough on you, breathe on you. We can share a sandwich. It'll be a great time. It'll be awesome. And so, no, I am so glad you're here with us today. And uh, we are continuing through and finishing up this I Choose series. And I truly pray that you've begun to think differently about what you are choosing in your life. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about choosing discipline over regret. Discipline over regret. Now, if you're new with us this morning and you have not been a part of the series these last so many weeks, you can go on our website, northgoodland.org, and you can find all of the messages there. You can also get our church app, which is North Goodland BC in your app store. You can find all of the messages there as well. And I encourage you to listen to those uh, if you have not heard them yet. And maybe if you know someone that's having some struggles right now uh, with some regrets that they've made in the past, maybe you would direct them there to give them some encouragement. Uh, but two weeks ago, we did talk about this idea of discipline over regret. And I truly hope that you allowed the Spirit of God to help you in understanding what you want most and what disciplines need to be present to achieve it. We asked you a question a couple weeks ago. What do you want most? And then what disciplines do you need in your life right now to achieve what you want most? And we talked about this. There's two kinds of pain in life, right? Two basic kinds of pain. There's the pain of regrets and there's the pain of discipline. The pain of discipline is a momentary pain, maybe a delayed gratification, not getting what you want when you want it. But I'm telling you and I'm promising you and I'm guaranteeing you from the Word of God that when you choose the pain of discipline, you will much more enjoy that than you will the pain of regret. Because the pain of regret is something that we just have a hard time shaking. And it just stays with us and it lingers and it lingers and it leads to guilt and shame. And it makes us believe that God somehow can't forgive us, which is an utter lie. Listen, let me just tell you at the onset, whatever regret you're carrying into this service this morning, whatever past mistake and sin, His grace. The Bible says that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. It's not that God is saying to you, patting on your shoulder, it's okay. I know you sinned and it's fine. No big deal. No, he's saying, in spite of your sin, I can forgive you, I can redeem you, and now I can use you to make disciples of other people that are struggling. It's amazing how he changes the entire situation around. 
And we talked about the value of choosing discipline over regrets. Maybe your past regrets have gotten out and it compounded your guilt. Maybe you tried to keep it secret for so long and it finally got out. You lived in fear that somebody would find out what you did, and then they did. And maybe it changed how they viewed you. Maybe it changed how they treated you. You need to know that God's grace is ready and able to forgive and restore anyone that will turn to him and come boldly to his throne of grace and receive what he offers you there. His opinion of you will never change. His view of you will never change. He sees you as his son and his daughter in Christ. We all have regrets. We all wish we could go back and do something different. I asked last week, how many of you, if you could, go back and change the three biggest mistakes you made in high school? How many of you would do that? And hands went up all over the place. We all have these regrets. But here's the thing to remember. We can't change our past regrets, right? Can anybody go back in time? Anybody figured that one out yet? Got a time device, a DeLorean with a flux capacitor? Anything like that hanging out in your garage? No? Okay. If you find one or build one, let me know. I would love to go back in time. That would be awesome. So we can't control our past mistakes. We can't go back and change those. But you know what you have the control over? You have the control over the choice you make today. The decisions you make today and the decisions you'll make tomorrow. You can't do anything about the ones you've already made to this point, but you can have control over the ones you make from this point forward. And you have to choose discipline or regret. And so this morning as we're continuing through this idea, I hope this is encouraging to you because we're going to be talking about the idea of choosing importance over urgence. Importance over urgence. When you meet people and ask how busy are doing the most. Anybody have a conversation with somebody this week that said they were busy? I have no time. I wish I had more time for this. Let me ask this question. Any of you ever said, I wish I had more time? I wish I wasn't so busy. I'm always going. I'm always going. We all feel this way. When you meet people and you ask them how they're doing, they usually don't say, man, I'm really relaxed. It's great. I've got so much time on my hands. I can't wait till I can retire and then have all this free time. Isn't that how that works? Retired guys, is that how that works? We get all kinds of free time? They're like, I would, but I come here every day and serve the church. So no, I don't have any free time. But they love doing that. They enjoy doing that. All of our retired guys say amen. (laughs) Did they leave the service? Where are they? Where's Dave? Where's Dave and Mary? Dave? Yeah, there he is over there. Sheepishly. He said amen. Mary was like, shh. We all run into this situation in life. We all can be so busy. And I'm going to be honest with you. It seems like more and more it's just busier and busier. More demands, more expectations. We all get busy and say we have no time for this or no time for that. Or I wish I had more time for this. Or I wish I had more time for that. But there's something I want you to write down in your notes. In your bulletin, there is a handout if you're taking notes. And I believe I put this in here. If I didn't, just write it off to the side and just pretend I did. The truth is, we always have time to do what we choose to have time for. We always have time to do what we choose to have time for. So many people. I wish I had more time. I wish I wasn't so busy. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. And I said it last week, or a couple weeks ago rather, I will not be the dad that gets to the end of my life and said, I wish 
I would have spent more time with my kids. I will not be that guy. And so what am I doing now? I'm by God's grace praying for wisdom and guidance and forgiveness because I get it wrong. Amen? We all get it wrong. We all make mistakes. We all struggle. We don't always do it right. But I'm praying for wisdom to be disciplined today with my family time so that 30 years from now, I look back and I say, man, I'm so thankful for the time that I spent with my family. Nobody gets to their funeral, their graves, or their, their funeral bed, where you say, before they die and say, man, I wish I would have spent more time at work. Wish I would have spent more time doing this hobby or that hobby. I mean, you know what they say? Man, I wish I would have been more invested in this person. I wish I would have spent more time with this person. Do you know the opposite is true? Go to a funeral and listen to people talk about someone's life. They don't talk about the house they lived in. You hear me? They don't talk about the car they drove. They don't talk about how good of a fisher they were. I mean, maybe not always. You know when things like fishing and hobbies come up? Man, I love spending time with so-and-so doing this. Do you know what always goes back to the character of the person, the integrity of the person, the love of the person, the service of the person? Do you know why Dave shared what he shared this morning about his grandma? What impacted him most? I'm sure the food was pretty good. Just going to throw that out there. But it was the prayers. It was the spiritual investment. It was the spiritual love and life that was lived before him. That made an impact. And so today, we're going to start walking through this idea of how can I choose what's important over what's urgent. It's a choice we make as to how we spend our time. So let's admit together, and I'm going to say a part of this, and you repeat it after me. I always have time to do what I choose to have time for. Today I want to help us understand the value and freedom that comes from choosing importance over urgence. You might think, aren't urgent things always important? I mean, think about this for a second. Aren't urgent matters always important? And the answer is no, not always. It's better to do the important things now to avoid the urgent situations later. Here's an example. If your, car, your engine blows up on your car, maybe your engine seized up on your car. Is that urgent? Do you have to put time to that and fix that right away? Need a car. But it's more important between now and that happening to check your oil, to service your vehicle, to maintain your vehicle, to be a good steward of your vehicle, so you could avoid the possibility of that happening later. If you are really, really sick and you go to the doctor, that's urgent. you got to take care of that. But it's more important that you spend every day living a healthy lifestyle so as to avoid possibly ending up in an ER someday. I was just talking to somebody this week that was talking to their cardiologist about a ministry that we just started recently doing here on Tuesday mornings. We have a kind of a health and wellness group that meets there every Tuesday morning. Spending some time in the Word of God talking about basic principles of health and wellness and then putting practice to it by spending some time exercising together. And when this person was talking to their cardiologist, this guy said this, and it blew me away when I heard this this last week. 
She said this. He said, my doctor looked at me and said, I wish I could get people that are coming into my office today, 25 years ago, and teach them some basic healthy habits so I wouldn't have to work with them today. I mean, that's powerful when you think about that. Discipline today avoids the possibility of regret later. Yes, urgent matters need to be addressed, but it's more important to invest in the important things to avoid the urgent matters being so frequent. How about this one? You're in your marriage, and there's just this constant tension, just constant stress and struggle and fighting, and it's just, it's just not good. That's an urgent matter that needs to be addressed, but it's more important that you spend every day investing in your marriage, growing as an individual, not trying to control the other person, but just living for Christ for yourself and administering to them and initiating in them so that 25, 30, 40, 50 years later, you're not going to a counselor saying, I can't even bear to look at this person anymore. Like I watch them chew and it makes me mad. If you want to avoid that, some of you are probably already there because some of y'all chew kind of funny. How do you eat? Come on. Any soup slurpers? Anyone will admit to slurping their soup? Anyone? One hand back over here. It's a child. Okay, children are raising their hands. Let's just note that for a second. Teenagers and children are raising their hands. So just think about that. If you're worried about raising your hand, you probably shouldn't if you're over 18. Okay? All right. So I want you to kind of understand this idea here because if we're not careful... We will fill our time tackling the urgent concerns instead of doing what's important to avoid the continual urgent fires. I want to look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 38 for a quick example of this. And we're going to have to go fast, so I guess buckle up, hang on, whatever you want to say. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. We're going to read through verse 40. Now it came to pass as they uh, went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve and ask God his wisdom and this understanding of the important over the urgent. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for every person that is in this room right now because I believe that you knew in your sovereignty they'd be sitting in that very same seat they're in right now, that they would be exposed to this time. I thank you for our visitors that are here this morning, those that are visiting family and just coming to spend a morning with some family, Lord. I pray for those that are traveling, that are from our church, that are out uh, visiting their moms and their grandmas, and they're just out traveling around, Lord. I pray you just be with them and watch over them. But I pray for this time this morning that you would speak to us and give us wisdom in this, Lord. Because as followers of Christ, we need to learn to invest in what's important so that we don't fight fires that are urgent matters 24-7. That we can enjoy this life you've given us. That we can enjoy the relationship we have with you. Because, Lord, the truth is, as followers of Christ, if anyone should understand peace, it's us. If anyone should be able to say that they're living in this world in a sense of peace and calmness, no matter what's going on around them, it's followers of Christ who have our eternity secure in Christ. Who know that our sins are forgiven because we've received your gospel. And so I pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom in this understanding. I pray you'd help me to be open and honest. 
transparent, that you would use me, Lord, that you wouldn't allow me to get in your way. But I pray you'd help all of us, Lord, as we're all learning this together, Lord. I'm on this journey as well. I'm learning these things for myself. And I pray you'd give us patience. That we'd be patient with ourselves and not frustrated when we don't see what we want to see when we want to see it. But we realize that you are doing something in us, that, that you've begun a good work in us, in Christ, and you will complete that work that you've begun. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room right now that doesn't know you as their Savior, maybe they've gone to church their whole life, maybe this is their first time in a church, maybe they've read the Bible, they've been baptized, they give tithes, all those good things, but none of it has anything to do with their salvation. I pray that they would come to know Christ this morning, that they would receive your death, burial, and resurrection as payment for their sin. They would believe that you rose again for them, and they would surrender their life to you because there is no way we enter your kingdom, your heaven, without receiving Christ as our Savior. So, Father, I pray you'd give us wisdom in all these things. Open our hearts to you, and Holy Spirit, may you lead, guide, and direct. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we see an amazing example of this idea of important versus urgent. And let's be honest, most of us would be like Martha, right? You know why we'd be like Martha? Because you'd be freaking out because Jesus is at your house for dinner. Some of you have friends over and you spend 17 and a half hours making your house look like nobody actually lives there. We can't have any dishes on the counter. People may think we use dishes. You can't actually have any dust anywhere. People may think that we actually keep a dusty house. It's just crazy. I mean, think about this. We would do this. Let's be honest for just a moment. How many of you, when you know someone's coming over to your house for dinner, spend just a little more time than you maybe should trying to make the house just right because you want to impress them and make them think that you keep a perfect house. Raise your hand. Just be honest. It's church. It's safe. No one's going to judge you. I'm just kidding. I'm judging all of you right now. <laughs> judging you. Judging. No, I'm just kidding. I've told you guys what's my, some of my greatest weaknesses. You all know I'm a control freak, borderline perfectionist with some things, and a neat freak. So if you haven't prayed for Sandra up to this point, you need to be in deep prayer for Sandra. Try living with that. Borderline perfectionist, control freak, and a neat freak. That means I want the house always clean, and I always want to be the one cleaning it because I think I only do it well. <laughs> I let my boys, my, my oldest is 10, and they've run their lawnmower before for doing, hauling different things across the yard. Well, this first time I mowed, Anthony said, can I mow the grass? I don't have an immaculate lawn by any stretch. It's horrible, bumpy and all this stuff. But to me, it's like, I want to mow the lawn my way, right? And so he says, can I mow the lawn? And I'm like, sure, buddy, you can, you can mow the lawn. I'm sure it'll be fine. Just patches missing, all this. And I'm watching it, and it's everything in me to think, okay, not control. Do not control. Do not control. And he comes back, he's like, what do you think? I said, oh, that was good. That was, I mean, it was fine. I was like, if you would just move over a little bit and cut this right here and then put this right here and then do this like this and do this like this. It'd be great. I mean, but it's good. You're right there, buddy. You're right there. This is Martha is freaking out because Jesus is coming to her house. And you know Jesus. He doesn't have a cell phone. He didn't text Martha 48 hours, 24 hours. Hey, I'll be over about 630 if that's okay with you. It implies he was coming into a town and said, hey, I know Mary and Martha. I'll go have dinner with them. Could you imagine? You're at home on a Friday night just doing what you do on a Friday night, which is probably not cleaning your house 
and Jesus. Ding dong. Hey, I thought I'd stop by for some mac and cheese. What do you think? Yeah, hang on five minutes, would you please? And you're freaking out, putting everything in every closet and cubby hole, right? Putting the dirty dishes where? In the oven and pray you don't have to use the oven. Come on now, this is church, let's be real. This is preaching now. Putting stuff in the bathtub, praying nobody peers back the curtain and looks. Right? This is Martha, and she's so freaking out because Jesus is at her home. But if we're not careful, we will fall into the trap that Martha fell into, which was choosing the urgent or what we perceive as urgent over what's most important. And we waste so much time. People just look at it this way. I asked you that question a few minutes ago, and I said, how many of you do all this so that people think this about you and your house? Now, I'm not saying we're not good stewards. I'm not saying we don't maintain a a, a clean home and all that. It's all fine and good. I'm not saying that. But urgent importance. Maybe if we spend a little bit of time every day keeping up on those minor things, we don't have those urgent 45-hour cleaning fests, okay? I mean, 45 hours was a bit extreme, okay? I understand that. And I'll give you some practical tips on that in just a little bit here. But the first thing we have to do to avoid being like Martha, in this sense, is to be guarded against distractions. To be guarded against distractions. Martha was distracted from the presence of Christ. She was so caught up in doing what had to be done that she was neglecting what was most important. Now, Martha's preparing the meal. That's important because what? They need to eat something. So she's serving. Her heart should be what? I'm serving and preparing this meal to serve to Christ. This is valuable. But because maybe she was a little bit distracted, wanting it to be a little too perfect, and she sees Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus not doing anything, she gets what? Upset and frustrated. And then she goes to Jesus, and then she accuses Jesus of, some, Jesus of something. Do you see it in the text? It says here, but Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, does thou not care? So she's freaking out. She's distracted by trying to get this meal perfect, right? I'm sure none of you have ever made a meal and you pulled out of the oven and you were like, mmm, that's not what that's supposed to look like. How am I going to fix this so that nobody notices it's this and this and this? I'm sure none of you, when you do a potluck, You never make a batch of whatever you're making a little bit earlier than you need to, and you give it to someone in the home to try first. None of you have ever done this, I'm sure. Nobody would ever do this. And then you say, oh, you know what? That didn't turn out well. This is the batch we're going to keep at home, and I'll make a new batch for church. Which is basically saying what? Church people get the best. My family, well, they could take the junk that didn't cook up right. You know, I mean, cookies aren't exactly perfect, and they're a little flat. Here, children, eat these. That's how much I love you. Have the crap cookies, okay? Uh, the good stuff, that goes to the church because, well, you know, we want to give the good cookies to Jesus. So she's freaking out about all this. Then she goes in and she sees Mary and Jesus just having this nice, casual conversation. And it just blew. And she accuses Mary of doing nothing and Jesus of not caring. That she's the one working so hard. She's the one doing all this work. It's not that serving and preparing a meal for Christ was wrong. It's not that the work was wrong. It was simply not the best thing Martha could have been pursuing in that moment as Christ was with them. Look at Christ's response to Martha in verse 41. 
And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. See, Martha was not only distracted, Martha was stressed. When we chase the urgents, instead of investing in the important, we will always find ourselves stressed out. We will always be stressed when we chase the urgent. Jesus said that she was careful and troubled, which means anxious and troubled in mind. When we get distracted and begin to get stressed trying to tackle the urgent problems, we become anxious and stressed out. Many of us, and this is true of me at times as well, many of us are faithfully pursuing the urgent and neglecting the important. I put a question in your notes that I encourage you to answer. What's the most important thing you have been distracted from pursuing? What's the most important thing you've been distracted from pursuing? Right now in your life, what is the most important thing that you deem is most important, but you've been distracted from pursuing that and pursuing something else, namely the urgent? I'll give you a couple examples. For some of us, we are so busy doing things for our kids that we have not taken time to actually enjoy our children and the time we spend with them. Some may be distracted by making your home so kid-centered that you have neglected the marriage that is really the rock of the family that may nourish your children. Some of us, as followers of Christ, have been so busy doing things for the Lord that we have neglected actually spending time with him in his word and in his presence. For some, it's more internal. It's not so much external, but internal. It's an addiction that you need to confess and get help with. But you've neglected what's important because ultimately you don't have time to deal with your addiction, with your struggles, with your eternal issues. You don't have time for that. You're too busy. You're too stressed. You're always going. There's all these expectations. And so you know what? It's easier, notice this, it's easier to just keep chasing the urgent and put off what's important because dealing with this is going to be difficult, maybe even hurtful. To get down to why you actually battle with these addictions. Man, that's going to take time and emotional energy. And I don't have time for that. I'm going to keep chasing the urgent because you know what? At least then I feel like I'm doing something. Can I tell you something true? Busyness does not always equal effectiveness. You might be crazy busy right now and just spinning your wheels. Not really accomplishing anything of great value, but really, really busy. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have demands on our life. I'm not saying that there are times that we do get into busy seasons. We all get busy, but that's why we need to today purpose discipline. I'm going to invest in what's important today when I have that time available to me, and I'm going to invest in what's important today because there may be something urgent a week, six weeks from now, that needs my attention. I may get busier down the road with work, so I'm going to invest in what I can today so I'm prepared for tomorrow. Luke 10 and verse 42, Jesus said something so powerful to Mary. Do you notice that, actually back up in verse 41, he says she's careful and troubled about what? Many things. Do you know what Jesus is doing here? He's using this one example to show her what? This is a habitual thing in your life. This is something you're constantly doing. You're struggling and you're always worried and always stressed. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Some of you are professional grade worriers. 
Like some of you could have a business card that says, we worry for you. You're stressed, you're struggling, call me up. I'll worry for you. That's how good I am at this. You get so wrapped up. And I'm not saying we don't empathize and sympathize with people. But man, we get so just stressed out. How is that living the abundant life? When you get to the end of your day and you're like, oh, I just, I can barely breathe today. We might need to step back and look at our lives and say, man, am I investing in what's important? Or am I just chasing the urgent? Because I'm denying these other things. Verse 42, Jesus says this to to Martha, but one thing is needful. Man, I love that word right there from Jesus. Did you ever invest, invest, invest in something that was so urgent, you thought was so urgent, and then you find out it really wasn't that big of a deal? Did you ever clean your whole house top to bottom and nobody ever used those other rooms? Like you're praying, please someone go to the bathroom, because I mean, I spent six hours in there cleaning the thing. Go to the bathroom. I want you to see that I did this for you. And they don't even go in the bathroom. And we can be so wrapped up in the urgent, and it's really not that important. Jesus says this, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen. See, I love that there. It's a choice we make. She chose that good part. And because she did, I will not take that away from her. I'm not going to send her to help you. She's doing what's really needful right now. What is Jesus really saying? And I wish you'd take a break from the meal and come sit with me for a few minutes. Yeah, we do our work and we put our work in, but sometimes maybe just break away for a few moments. Man, Lord, thank you for today. Lord, give me the strength and the wisdom to get through this next meeting. Lord, my coworker is going through this. Maybe I should just pray with them for a few minutes because at the end of the day, if your five minutes is spent on that, maybe that's what's most important in that moment. So real quick, I want to give you guys some practical ideas that I've been studying and trying to apply to my own life. Things that I have not done perfectly and I'm still learning much in. But to choose the important, I want to give you some practical tips from an author that I I enjoy listening to and reading. And he, he gave me some of these tips and one of the things I was reading, and I love this. So how do I choose the important? Well, the first thing we do is we create artificial deadlines. We create artificial deadlines. Now, for those of you that aren't sure what that means, it means these are fake deadlines that you create for yourself. So this is something I, again, personally, I've been trying to learn to do in my own personal time management, and I'm still working to apply consistently. But it's something I found to be so productive and effective for our daily living. What does this look like? A simple example for me might be that my sermon prep. So let me just ask a question. Our service starts 10.30 Sunday morning, okay? So as I come into work full-time here at the church, when is my sermon technically due? Sunday morning at 10.30, right? So technically, 7.30 this morning, I could have got up and I'm like, no, let's just see what the Lord does. Just throw some stuff together. Just kind of have some fun with it. But why would I do that? I could do that, but guess what my sermon becomes Saturday or Sunday morning, rather. Sunday morning at 7.30, my unprepared sermon becomes not important, but what? Urgent. Why would I think so little of what I'm doing that I would wait to the last minute to treat it as urgent rather than treating it as important and valuable enough that I'll start investing in on Monday. And so for me, there's no one that comes and checks my sermons, by the way. No one comes and says, hey, you're done with your message for Sunday? No one does that, okay? But for me, 
Thursday, by end of day Thursday, is when I want my Sunday morning sermon completely done. So I try to work on it a little bit on Monday, a little bit on Tuesday, and then finish it up on Thursday. But by the end of the day Thursday, I want that done. Done, visuals done, videos done, everything's done. Handout, everything's done. Most of the times it's done by Wednesday. But I like having by Thursday. Now, that's my deadline. Why do I do that? Because I view it as important. And I know putting that deadline on it gives me a goal. Okay, I need to have this work little by little, and so it's done by this point. And maybe we need to start doing that with our own things that we're investing in. Why? Because when we finish one important task, it opens up our schedule to do what? Invest in another important task. But when you're constantly running to the end of the line, the last minute, you're constantly hitting that deadline every single time that's actually the real deadline, you're treating everything as urgent. You're not investing in it as though it's important. Another example would be this. Many of us can understand this one. You are leaving on Thursday morning for a four-day weekend. Amen? Nobody ever looks forward to four-day weekends, right? Okay, just making sure I'm still awake out there. You're leaving on Thursday morning for a four-day weekend, but you have how many days of work to do? Five days of work, but you're leaving on what day? Thursday morning. So how many days do you have to do five days of work? Isn't it amazing when someone's going on a four-day weekend? Come Wednesday night, guess what's done? Everything. Everything is done for the week. Because they know what? I'm not going to not leave tomorrow morning. It's all done by the end of day Wednesday. So somehow, miraculously, people that are apathetic or even indifferent employees can magically take five days of work that they're stressed to do and compress that into three days. Why? Because I'm going on vacation tomorrow and it's got to be done. You see what they're doing? They're creating an artificial deadline. It's not really the deadline. But it is because they have something that they deem as important they want to do next. And so we can do these things, and it makes our time so much more effective, so much more fruitful. And I want to just kind of let you think through that. How can you begin to do that in your own life? Here's an example. You do need to clean the house. When I was growing up, every Saturday morning, we couldn't watch Saturday morning cartoons until the house was cleaned. All our chores were done. I can't do that anymore because there's not really any good Saturday morning cartoons anymore for my kids to watch. So, so guess what we did? We woke up at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. Guess we didn't need any reminders. I want to watch Bugs Bunny. I'm getting my stuff done. And we would take maybe what could take three hours and do it in an hour and a half. Why? Because we had an artificial deadline. I know this show's on at this time. I want to do this. It's important to me. So maybe when you're doing house cleaning and you're getting your whole family together, and I encourage that. Listen, if you have kids that live in your home, that are actually making the mess, it's okay to ask your children to clean it up, by the way. That's not like being a bad parent and communist or anything like that, okay? It's good. But here's the trick. How long could you really clean your house for? If we're being honest, how long could you really clean your house for? You could keep finding something to clean, right? Anybody got that room that nobody goes in because it's just where everything goes when you don't know what to do with something? And then five years later, you're like, what is this? Okay, it's just horrible. You could technically keep cleaning and keep cleaning, but guess what you do? You're spending your whole Saturday on urgent, not really, but you think it's urgent. Maybe you set an artificial, okay, we're going to clean for an hour and a half. And then we're going to choose people over protection, perfection. 
We're going to do what we can do. We'll be good stewards. But you know what? We're not going to rob our entire day with family and friends, spending it on perceived urgent matters when really we could choose people over perfection. So maybe that's an example of how you can think about it. I don't want to give you every kind of example, but I want you to think about this. How can you see this in your own lives? So first thing we do is we create artificial deadlines. Secondly, we're ruthlessly selective in our yeses. You are ruthlessly selective in your yeses. i got to go quick here. One author said it this way. The barrier to a meaningful life is not a lack of commitment, but an overcommitment. The barrier to a meaningful life is not a lack of commitment, but an overcommitment. We commit to way more things than we ever should. And we get discouraged and end up having to quit or do less than our best when we're working on something. Let me tell you this, and you can jot this down. It's not rocket science, but maybe you've never really heard this total number. We only have 168 hours in a week. You can do nothing to make that number go higher. You can do nothing to add one second to that time. You only have 168 hours in a week. So guess what? That's how much you ta- the time you have to invest in that week. So it matters what you commit to by saying yes. As a follower of Christ, it is crucial that we hold true to our word. And when we say yes to something, we fulfill that commitment, even if it's inconvenient. It is better we honor our word and be inconvenienced than display a poor example of Christ. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 37. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Jesus' point is you don't need to make a pact or an oath that your word is strong enough of a bond that people know you really mean it. That is why it is so crucial that we be selective with our yeses. So we commit to what matters most and do it by his grace the best we can. Does that make sense? You're feeling stressed, you're feeling burned out. What are you saying yes to? Maybe there's some things you start, need to start saying no to. You, most of us say yes to things just because we feel obligated because that's what's expected. I have to say yes. They're going to think I'm going to say, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And you end up burning yourself out, not doing your best and quitting early. But it's important that we understand, when I say yes to something as a follower of Christ, I'm not just representing me, I'm representing my Savior. And so if you say yes to something and then you realize, man, that was really not a good idea, you got to kind of push through that one. And you hold your commitment. That was Jesus' words. Anyone can make a promise. Oh, I promise, 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 promise. Do you know why people overly promise their yeses? Because they're worried you're not really going to believe them. Because maybe they've not been 100% truthful and honest in the past about their commitments. So I have to kind of convince you I'm really going to do it. We studied in a Wednesday night group a couple months ago this idea. And one thing we can do to be careful on this is, you ever have your kids ask you for ice cream at like 4 in the afternoon? Can I have ice cream? Can I have ice cream? And what do you want to say? It's 4 in the afternoon. So the parent answer is no. Okay, there you go. If you're giving your kids ice cream at 4 in the afternoon, I want to come over to your house because that's awesome. Most parents would say no, but then they do this. They're worried their kids are going to get upset, right? Get mad because they're not getting their ice cream. So what do we do? We'll say, you can have ice cream. Let's say dinner's a little late. Behavior's not the best. They didn't get their chores done. Now it's 8.45. Bedtime was at 8.30. And you say, all right, time for bed. And your kids say what? But you said, we can have ice cream after dinner. Don't you wish you were a little bit more selective with your yes there? 
So rather than saying, promising some future fulfillment of something you have no control over, why don't you say this? You know what? I would love to give you some ice cream after dinner tonight, but let's just see how it goes because it may not work out tonight. You've given them the hope of ice cream, but you've not committed to it yet. And man, we got to be so careful. So many times we're reactive with our yeses. We don't even think about it. And more importantly, we don't even pray about it. Man, we just say yes and yes and yes and yes. And we're like the guy in James that says, tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and we'll have profit and we'll have gain. And we've never even consulted his will on the matter. Be selective, ruthlessly with your yeses. Last one, real quick. Appreciate your patience. We need to be careful with our deadlines, artificial deadlines. We need to be ruthlessly selective with our yeses. And then we need to do first what matters most. Do first what matters most. It's not if I have time, I will do this or that. It's setting the most important as first priority. And let's be honest, as followers of Christ, what matters most is spending time at the feet of Christ. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Unfortunately, a lot of us seek all the other things first and miss out on what is needful. Now, let's be honest. I don't always seek first what matters most. A couple weeks ago, I asked you to write down what matters most to you. What matters most? And sometimes we spend all of our time chasing these things that don't matter most, and then we wonder why we don't have time to pursue what matters most. As a follower of Christ, your relationship with Christ matters most. There's all kinds of commitments, expectations, career opportunities, all these things. But I'm telling you from the word of God, all of them, your, and this is not popular today, your family, your marriage, your children, your safety, security, satisfaction, convenience, and comfort, every one of those things are secondary to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said in this very gospel that we're reading from, you want to be my follower? Great. Then you need to follow me. Well, wait, but I have this lot of land I just bought and I need to sell. Nope. If you do that, you can't be my, you're not my follower. Well, can I go to my dad's funeral? My dad passed away. I'm going to go to his funeral. Nope. Let the dead bury the dead. Could you imagine telling someone that? Let the dead bury the dead. And you think, Jesus, oh, he, would, he understands that I just don't have time for him. Does he? Or is he saying, man, that's not what's most important for you. And if you would spend time with me and understand who I am, you can see all these other things be much more fruitful and effective. But we neglect what is needful, chasing all these things, and we wonder, why do we feel empty? Why don't we feel fulfilled? Why is it that NFL players can win the Super Bowl multiple times? And you ask them, just recently, interview, Tom Brady, blew my mind. The man's been to how many Super Bowls and won how many Super Bowls? Probably the most famous quarterback. And he was asking a question, are you happy? And he said, I have my moments. Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm not. See, he achieved all these great expectations and things in his career, but he was asked, are you happy? And he says, nah. Sometimes we get so busy being neglect or neglecting the important. We're chasing the urgent, and we miss out on what true investment looks like. And I will promise you, if you will spend consistent and committed time at the feet of Christ in your daily life, you will see so much more joy, peace, and fulfillment in every other area. 
You want to be a great dad, a great mom? Spend time with Jesus. You want to be a great employee, a great boss, a great manager? Spend time at the feet of Jesus. I'm promising you, you will see an impact and a difference. We don't always get it right. I don't always get it right. And in fact, I get it wrong probably more times than I get it right, if we're being honest. But I'm so thankful for his patience, his grace, his mercy, and his faithfulness that we can continue to come back and receive new grace and new mercy and a new day. As we realize the priority of doing what is important with discipline, so we will find ourselves dealing with less urgent matters. I want to pose two application questions to help us think about this idea. You can fill these out on your own. If you got two extra hours each day, what would you do more of? And why do you think we're tempted to allow urgent things to rule our lives? My prayer is that we will spend less time as followers of Christ being busy, just to be busy, and more time investing in his kingdom as he leads by investing our time and energy into what's most important. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? We're going to have a short time of invitation. And then actually one of our junior church teachers is going to come in and share some things with us in just a few moments. I'm so excited about that. But as you bow out there where you are, I'm going to ask that you begin to pray this idea through thoroughly. What are you chasing? What are you pursuing? What matters most? What are you giving your time to? Do you feel stressed and burned out? If it's so, what are you investing in daily? And I know this leaves a lot of open-ended questions. I know there's not this nice little neat bow on the end, but that's okay because we need to take these into our lives and apply that truth so we can see it live out in our practical ways. Father, I pray you'd give us wisdom in this. I pray we would invest in what's most important. And as followers of Christ, it starts and ends with you, the author and finisher of our faith. But I pray as we begin with you and spend time with you and do what is needful, that you would give us wisdom in the other areas of our life, in our family life, in our careers, in our service opportunities, in our ministries. You'd help us to be selective with our yeses so we're able to do more of what you've called us to. But Father, I pray that if there's someone in this room right now that doesn't even know you as Savior, this is all so foreign to them. And I pray that you would speak into their heart right now. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd prick their heart. Show them their need for a Savior. Show them the love of the Father. That everything is done in the cross, in the death, burial, and resurrection. That they can find peace and fulfillment and eternal life by forgive, or with the forgiveness of sins. May you lead, guide, and direct. And we love you. Help us to pursue what's important. To invest our time wisely redeeming the time, the Bible says. May you be glorified in all of this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? We're just going to sing a verse of this song. And as we sing, would you just respond and ask the Lord to give you wisdom in this area as we go to him in this time of invitation. Would you come and pray or pray there where you are?